0: We're going to read the Word of God this evening from Romans 8, beginning with verse 16. Romans eight, sixteen: The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, That we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, cause he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The sermon text this evening is verses 29 and 30 of Romans 8. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. I want you to think of the five things that are mentioned in these verses as a chain. That's not new to me. Those five things have often been referred to as the golden chain of our salvation. But that's the way I want you to think of them this evening. Foreknowledge predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. They are the golden chain of our salvation. And I want you to think too, not only of a chain, but of a chain that has both of its ends in heaven which reaches from heaven to earth and back to heaven again. Three lengths in heaven, two, if you will, hanging down into this world. And I want to do that, I want you to think that way for several reasons. First of all, because it's good. For us to remember that there is order in God's work of salvation. That's evident from this passage. These five things are like the links of a chain. And it's good for us to remember that because that order preserves the sovereignty of God in salvation. If you forget, for example, that calling and justification are linked to foreknowledge and predestination, then you're never going to be able to answer the question, why am I called? And not others. Never be able to answer the question when you think of justification why am I graciously justified and not others? The answer is found in the fact that calling and justification are linked to, and follow upon God's foreknowledge and predestination. We mustn't stress the order of salvation to the point where we think of salvation in a kind of mechanical way. First this happens, then that, then that, and so on. And by doing that, as one of you said this week, force God into a box that's really the box of our own thinking. And forget that salvation is a miracle of grace. There is order in God's work of salvation. But, that does not take away from the fact that salvation is a wonder work of God Almighty, which in many ways transcends our understanding or even our ability to understand what He has done in saving His people. It's good, too, to think of that chain as I described it, three lengths in heaven, and two, reaching down into this world, because that answers the question, how am I assured of God's grace to me and of my place? In Christ? The answer is, as we'll see, that those two links, if you will, hang down into this world so that I can take hold of that chain here on earth, and taking hold of that chain through my own calling and justification, have hold of the whole chain. And be assured that I am among those whom God loved and chose in eternity, and among those who will be with Him forever in heavenly glory. That's really the emphasis here in Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about assurance. And these verses answer in part that question how we, as children of God, have assurance of our own salvation. With that in mind, I call your attention, that's the theme of this evening's sermon, to the golden chain of our salvation. Going to look at its five links, as they're mentioned here in Romans 8, then at its strength the strength of this chain. And that, of course, has to do in the passage with that word, he, whom he foreknew, those he also did predestinate, and whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And then finally we're going to look at the golden beauty of that chain, as we take hold of it. And in taking hold of it, have assurance that we are foreknown predestinated, called, justified, and glorified. So first of all, those five things, first of them, God's foreknowledge. Many, I would say a majority of Christians, misunderstand that word. I want to say a lot about that this evening. They believe that that word simply means that God in eternity saw that we would believe, saw that we would be holy, that we would repent of our sins and turn from them. And for that reason, chose us. But I think you know, I'm sure that even some of you children know that that's not the way it is. God, in choosing His people, did not look into some kind of crystal ball to see what would happen and choose us and others accordingly. That would make our salvation dependent on us. Would make our salvation, I've heard a lot of that word recently, conditional. We would be saved because of our foreseen faith and obedience. And God, as you know so well, is never, ever dependent on us in saving us never chooses us for anything that He finds in us or even foresees in us, but saves us solely and entirely according to the good pleasure of His will. But what then is God's foreknowledge? It lies, if I may put it that way, even further back, behind God's purpose in predestination. If you ask, for example, why did He choose predestinate some? The answer is in that word, foreknowledge. There is a reason. Why he chose some, why he chose you and not others, although the reason is never, ever, ever to be found in you. What then is God's foreknowledge? Do you know? Do you? Focusing on the second part of that word knowledge, Scripture uses that word here in the same way that it uses to describe the intimate relationship between husband and wife. Abraham knew Sarah, and she could see and gave birth to Isaac. That word refers then to God's love for his people. A love, of course, that transcends all earthly loves. It's love, as someone has put it before time, eternal. Love. And therefore that word foreknowledge is one of the most amazing words in Scripture. When I see God's love in the cross of my Savior, then it brings me to my knees before Him. Love so amazing, so divine, that He sent His only begotten Son as payment for my sins. But then I read a little further in the Scriptures, and I discovered that God did not begin to love me at the cross, or even begin to show His love at the cross, but that He loved me always. From eternity, we say, And all I can do then is fall on my face before Him and say, how great Thou art. And talk of the fact that the love of God is beyond measure. Deeper than the oceans, higher than the heavens, more more broad than Easter west and acknowledge too that there's no love like the love of God his love for me that's God's foreknowledge whom he loved he also did predestinate chose Elected. But there too, the Word of God doesn't speak of election in a cold, theological way. It's not thinking, of course, at all of the other half of predestination, reprobation, although that's implied but only of election, and speaking of that in the most wonderful way. If you count yourself, as I trust you do, among those whom God elected, among that number of the elect who will be together someday in heaven, then you must remember That He chose you, that's the passage, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Chose you to be like Christ. Chose you so that when finally you go to heaven, Even your body is like the glorious body of Christ raised and glorified with Him. That's election. Not just the bare choice of some to be saved, but in choosing them God sovereignly and eternally determined that by His work of grace they would be forever like Christ when His work of grace with them was finished. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. And it's in calling and the calling that God begins to make us like Christ. The emphasis there is not on your calling to be a good father, yours to be a good mother, good husband, a good wife, but it's talking about what we refer to in theology as God's efficacious call. Now that comes we hear God calling in the preaching of the gospel but when in the preaching of the gospel God calls those whom he has chosen to be like Christ then through the Spirit, He calls them in their hearts and in their souls as well and calls them with the same power that He used when He created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Calls them irresistibly calls them so that really they cannot help but come. Or as Scripture has it, that they are drawn to Christ. Drawn, the Apostle Paul says in the opening verses of Colossians, out of darkness into light, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's the calling. It's a word of God that comes through the gospel, but is applied by the Spirit in such a way that it takes hold of the hearts of His people and brings them sovereignly and irresistibly to Himself. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And the result of that calling is that those whom he calls can never, ever go back to the kingdom of darkness. They may, like the Israelites in the Old Testament, think that they want to go back, They may murmur and complain when they find their way in the wilderness a difficult way. But because God has called them, they can never go back. And that work that begins with God's calling continues according to Romans 8 with his work of justifying his people, whom he called, he also justified. And the reference is to justification by faith. That through faith, the obedience, the righteousness, the perfect holiness of Christ become ours, are imputed, To us, we say, charged to our account. And charged to our account in such a way that all our spiritual debt is forever blotted out. And we forever are acceptable in God's sight. That's justification. And that has to follow the calling because those whom God calls, you know that so well. Those whom God calls are in and of themselves unworthy, sinners, no better than others, totally depraved. By nature. And if they're to be gods and to dwell in His presence forever, then they must be justified. Righteousness and obedience of Christ imputed to them through faith. And that provides to and leads to their glorification. We sang about that in Psalter number 99 and I left my psalter open so that I could remind you of what you sang. It begins, the fifth stanza does, with those words embodied here in Romans eight twenty nine and 30, salvation is from God alone. Whom as their covert saints have known when by sore troubles tried. But then this, if that's glorification. The Lord who helped in troubles past will save them to the very last for they in Him confide. And it's in glorification that we are conformed to the image of His Son completely and forever. That begins in this life by God's work of grace, but is finished in our glorification. And there is no glory like it. You don't need me to tell you that the glory of being like Christ is everything. Nothing can purchase it, nothing can compare with it. It's God's gracious work in finishing. His work of salvation. That's what I call the golden chain. And others have called it that too. The golden chain of our salvation. Golden because that's the emphasis here in Romans 8. It shines with God's work, if you will, that chain was forged in heaven and has nothing, nothing whatsoever in it of the work of men. Nothing of your works, nothing of your righteousness, nothing of your obedience. There's not one speck of human rust in that chain. It's all God's work from beginning to end. Who he foreknew, them also he did predestinate, and all of the rest. And it's golden because it shines with the glory of God in our Savior Jesus Christ. Whom did He love in eternity? He loved those who were in Christ Jesus, already in eternity. Whom did he choose? And why did he choose them? Well, he chose them because in election he had given them to Christ as the one to whom they must be conformed. Whom did he call and by whom did he call? The answer is again, no one but Christ. It's Christ's voice who's heard in the preaching of the gospel. Christ's voice that reaches the hearts of God's people. Christ's voice that irresistibly and powerfully draws them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How are they justified by their own works? God forbid they're justified by the imputation and that alone of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, their Saviour, and their glory, their glory would finally. This weary night of sin is over. The glory is the glory of Christ, God in Christ. It's not the glory of living in a place that has streets of gold. Not that so much as being finally and forever like Him. You understand that, don't you? Those of you who are older and who are thinking more and more of death and die, you know that, don't you? That's your hope, isn't it? As you face that last journey through the valley of the shadow of death, that when you emerge from that dark valley, you will be like him. It doth not yet appear, the Apostle John says, what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's the golden chain of our salvation. But as I said in the beginning, the Word of God is, here is concerned with our assurance. How do I know that God from eternity has loved me? Look at myself. And I hate myself. especially when I see my sins and sinfulness. How then can God have loved me from eternity? How can I be sure of that? When I look at myself and see just a small beginning of new obedience, see that in so many ways I'm still like those who hate God and don't believe. Commit the same sins as they commit. I know that God doesn't love them. But how do I have the assurance that He loves me? How do I know? From the counsels of eternity that God's chosen me. He doesn't give me a book to read so that I can find my own name there. The book of election, if you will. How do I know? How do I know through all life's struggles and trials that I will be glorified with Christ and be like Him in glory? How do I have the assurance? The answer, first of all, here in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, is that assurance, the assurance of salvation rests on the teaching of the Word of God. That salvation is of God alone. I must must believe that if I am to be sure of my own salvation. If I think, as many do, that salvation depends that much on my own efforts or my own works, then to the degree that I think that, my assurance wavers and vanishes. It has to. Then my assurance, my assurance of salvation is as uncertain as my assurance that I'm going to make it to work tomorrow, or in my case, make it home. I don't know. But because salvation is of the Lord alone, it is possible for God's people To be assured of their salvation. And that's the beginning. Of their assurance too. They look at themselves. And they see no reason. For assurance. But they look up. And they see. That through all life's trials. And difficulties. Through all their sins. And weaknesses. God is able and willing to save his own. But there's a little more to it than that. And that's why two lengths of this chain, as I said in the beginning, hang down into this world. Calling and justification. It's in those that I see the evidence of God's grace. Our creeds talk about that. The canons. In the first chapter, talking about assurance Article 12 say, the elected do, due time, though in various degrees and in different measures, we don't all have the same assurance of our salvation. Some of us, I'm certainly one of them, find that assurance wavers, that doubts and fears assail. But we attain the assurance of this, our eternal and unchangeable election, not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, not by trying to read the book of election, but by observing in themselves with the spiritual joy and holy pleasure the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the word of God. Such as a true faith in Christ, filial fear, a godly sorrow for sin, a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and so on. I see in my calling and in my justification those fruits. And in seeing them, I take hold of the whole chain. Foreknowledge and God's love for me is choosing me out of the whole fallen race of mankind. My own hope of being with Him forever That's what I was getting at earlier when I talked about the result of that calling being that it's impossible for me to go back to the kingdom of darkness. Maybe I can illustrate that with a story. I don't even know if I should. But the story is told of Reverend Hootsama visiting a lady who had so struggled with the assurance of salvation that she was in Pine Rest. That's, if you don't know, place for those who are struggling in the way she did. And he visited her and frustrated with her inability to believe that she was one of God's children, that he had loved her and chosen her, and that she would be with him and have it. frustration finally said to her, well, why then don't you go back? And just eat, drink, and be merry. Live the life of the ungodly. And you know what her answer was? And that's the answer of everyone who's been called. Oh, I can't do that. That's the story of Israel in the wilderness. They thought, some of them, that they wanted to go back to Egypt. Complained about God's way with them because it was so hard, as you and I do. But they couldn't go back. Between them and Egypt stood for Ever the Red Sea and that sovereign call of God which brought them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. Struggling? Yes. Troubled? Yes. But in all my struggles and trials, do I really want or think that I can go back to the kingdom of darkness? If you put it to, the, to me that way, my answer is, God forbid. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better merely to look in at the door than to go back to the kingdom of darkness. That's the fruit of election. And you should see that. I should see that. There are other fruits as well. But if there's nothing else to be seen, you should see that as the fruit of God's love and God's electing purpose with you. Because that's what it is. The result of your calling. And the same is true of justification. And that too I, if you will, take hold of that chain by observing in myself with a holy joy and pleasure the infallible fruits of God's foreknowledge and election. Because justification means that I now know, among other things, that I now know that Jesus Crucified and risen again is my only hope. Struggling, doubting, I cling to Him. That's the fruit of justification. And say, in my darkest moments to whom else Shall I go? Tried beyond the limits of my endurance. When it seems that my way is so dark that there will never again be light for my soul. Then still, still, I cling to Him. Because justified in Him, there is nowhere else for me to go. That's the way of assurance. In calling and in justification and the fruits of calling and justification, I take hold of that golden chain of salvation, the whole chain, and know something of God's eternal purpose with me and of the glory that awaits me. Verse 28 isn't part of the sermon text this evening. But that's what verse 28 is saying. And verses 29 and 30 are the reason. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. We know that because salvation is the work of God. Everything works for our good. Nothing against God's people. If God before us, who can be against us? That's the Word of God in this passage. But we know that too. And that's verse 28. All things work together for good to them. Did you notice that? that love God. That's Scripture's way of saying what the canons say in chapter 1, article 12. I love Him. Love Him with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Love Him through all life's troubles and difficulties. Love Him as I love no one else. Love Him because... He's the great God of my salvation. And in that love for him, I see too. Those infallible fruits of election. And say, I love him because he first loved me. In the councils of eternity and before ever the world was created, he loved me. So I love Him, and so I know that He loves me. That's the Word of God here. And then too, of course, you could say what the Word of God says in those closing verses. I am persuaded. Now because I amount to anything or because I put any confidence in my own works of righteousness, but because salvation is of the Lord and I see in myself the fruits of His sovereign grace, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, Shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am persuaded. I trust you are. Amen. Father, bless what we've heard from thy word this evening. Forgive, Father, the weakness and sin with which we speak and hear thy word. Forgive us all of our sins for Jesus' sake. And give us, in spite of our weakness and sin, reason to rejoice in thee and in thy sovereign grace. Forgive us our sins too for Jesus' sake and bless us as we go our separate ways to our own homes. Keep us in peace and safety until such a day as we meet again in this life or in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and send to him quickly the judge of the living and the dead and our only Savior. For it is in his name we pray, amen.